0: But oh. ah,
1: th- ah, th- I wanna lie down I ain't
0: <Manufact> th- like um, <hay> <Jasen> T- all that sleepy But I wanna lie down I wanna lie down I wanna lie down I ain't all that sleepy But I wanna lie down Oh, what got the matter, baby? Yeah, I can't see. Yeah, I can't Hello and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, so thank you for bearing with me. If you've been waiting for updates, I completed the Barbara Tuckman series while I was still in China, and uh, things haven't re- have been working kind of slow since. I, I have not been able to return to Taiwan yet, and I've been kind of stuck in the U.S. For COVID reasons and visa reasons, and it's, uh, it's it's a real mess, and it's it's got me a bit down, um, and it's kind of kept me from being in the head, having the headspace to to get to work on this. But I, I'm kind of trying to come to terms with things and, and kind of get back on the horse. So I'm I found some time. I'm, I'm trying to make some time to get back into these podcasts on American literature um, my problem in China was I didn't have books now now I have plenty of books to review and to talk about with you uh, and I have been reading some of them I just haven't really I guess had the will uh, and that's that's true of the Lovecraft series too, which I still need to finish up there's probably another 25 episodes I have to do on that too which um, th- to complete that series So anyways, I don't want to get into the details of my my life and uh, the problems I've been facing. That's not what this is about, but um, suffice it to say, I'm kind of in limbo here, uh, both career-wise and and in terms of my family and just getting back to my my home in Taiwan. Uh, There's plenty of reasons uh, to to regret taking that extra year in China. Um, And I know COVID was going to hit, and the consequences of it, I probably would have done something differently. But alas, here we are. Um, so uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, um, yeah, I, I've been meaning to get back to Black Writers for a while. It was actually one of my first series that I did was on Black Writers, uh, my first kind of multi-book series, I suppose, uh, where we looked at the Harlem Renaissance Writers um, way back when I first started this podcast. And since then, I did another series on Black Writers where we looked at uh, James Baldwin Johnson and uh, The vo- one volume on Du Bois There's a new vo- library of America volume on Du Bois, which is out now It's just on black reconstruction in America. I'm not sure I'll buy because I have a copy of that book uh, And that's that's all that's in that book is uh, Black reconstruction in America, which is a very long text um, What else did I look at in that series? Um, not James Baldwin. I keep thinking I, I, I kept thinking I had the copies of James Baldwin, but I never did Um what else was it Zora Neale Hurston? Maybe uh, we looked at in that series. So there is a handful of black writers. We looked at um, Charles chestnut perhaps or I may have done that earlier, too um, but I'm kind of uh, Gonna go back and do this. I have a couple volumes here. I got uh, the one I'm going to start looking at today Which is James William Wells Brown, sorry William Wells Brown uh, Which is a great volume uh, relatively re- recently published And I have uh, the Richard Wright one of the I think the earlier there's two volumes of Richard Wright's works No one with black boy uh, in it Uh, so And and I'll take a look at that next I other things I have on hand are like uh, the two volume collection of crime fiction the American Noir Which has I think there's like 20 novels in those two volumes because they tend to be short those noir noir pieces I got Wendell Berry's two-volume collection uh, the memoirs of Sherman. I'll hold off on that because I want to do that alongside the Grant memoirs um, when I get when I have those in Taiwan. So, anyways, plenty to start to work on. Uh, so I'm not going to guarantee this is. I'm going to sustain this at the pace I typically, you know, publish the stuff at. Um, we'll see how my my heart holds out. Um, Wisconsin can be rough when you when you kind of by yourself. Um, anyways uh williams wells brown william wells brown um so this is a great collection of his writings uh put together by the library of america it's called clotel and other writings clotel is the first novel written by an african-american uh as far as we know at least in north america i guess there might be caribbean writers who predate this um but in what in the u.s i guess this is the first african novel by an african-american um, th- I think the first by a woman is, co- is called Arnig, uh which is another great book I read years ago. Uh, that hasn't been published by them yet, as far as I know. Um, now, William Wells Brown uh, escaped from slavery in, do I have that date? Uh, in 1834, uh, he later, he became an abolitionist and he wrote his memoirs. He, he can be, be compared to Frederick Douglass in some ways in that they both, they escaped from slavery in very different ways and have very different experiences but in that they both became abolitionists writing a memoir becoming very prominent figures in the anti-slavery movement and then spending significant time in europe i mean brown specifically especially he just basically gives up on the united states and spends much of his life in in europe in london as we'll talk about um in future future uh, episodes uh so he's a uh, important figure I think he kinda doesn't get the attention until recently that someone like Frederick Douglass got because Douglass did have such a dominant position in in black intellectual life in the 19th century such a prominent figure in the anti-slavery movement at the time Brown is not as well known and I think that's uh, not because he's not a great writer and doesn't have any things to say in fact if anything Brown's narrative is brutaler than Douglass's narrative in a lot of ways and maybe that's one reason his work hasn't been studied or appreciated as much or taught as much right because this this these would be clotel and his his slave narrative i could see being tough to teach to like even high school students because they are so um upfront with with sexuality with the color line some very very uh, uh i guess more controversial aspects of of The discussion of slavery it's the same reason harry jacobs i think doesn't get the attention she deserves as well because her novel so much or her slave narrative i should say is so much about uh, sexuality that it's it might be shocking to some readers even today so i don't know um but anyways uh now this podcast promises 100 pages at a time um this usually i'll do at least one work if it's around 100 pages and then split it up. If it's longer in some way, sometimes I have to be flexible, right? I often uh, sometimes regret that strict format. Um, this would be a good time to maybe veer off of that. But I, I have a kind of a, a way I'm going to handle this. Now, his Slave Narrative. Uh, the Narrative of William Wells Brown. Which, by the way, I'm not sure if it's published in the collection of Slave Narratives that the Library of America put out. That's My copy of that's in Taiwan. And that has like seven or eight Slave Narratives. Um, Some, uh, like, Aquiano's in there. Um, Cuguano is on there, I think. Uh, I don't know if Brown is in there. But anyways, it's short. It's only, like, 50 pages. And that's including, like, the prefaces. Because these narratives, uh, although they emphasize, you know, written by himself or herself, um, in the case of, like, Harry Jacobs, uh, you know, they're often pre- Had long prefaces by anti-slavery activists at the time. And that's the case here too. So it's 50 pages long, but a chunk of it is prefaces by white abolitionists who are basically uh, lending some credence to the text. It's a common thing uh, you see in these kinds of of stories. Uh, It's in Frederick Douglass's for instance as well. Uh, This case, it's by uh, J.C. Hathaway, who was the president of the Western New York anti-slavery society. Um, which does provide a decent thematic summary of the of the book. Yeah, um. Anyways, his narrative, uh, published in 1847, that's only about 50 pages, and then we have Clotel, which is about 150 pages. So I think I'm going to start ta- at the end of this episode. I'll talk a little bit about Clotel, um, and just get us started in that book. Maybe introduce some of the characters, and then next episode we'll we'll I'll do my main review of Clotel. So that's how we'll do it. Do it today. Um. So. William Wells Brown's narrative is called narrative of William W. Brown, a fugitive slave. Uh, So it emphasizes him as a, as a fugitive slave. And of course that's an aspect of his life that he carries on throughout his writing. For instance, uh, his book about Europe, his kind of second memoir, which call talks about his life after escaping slavery is called an American fugitive in Europe, right? He writes another book called the escape or a leap to freedom. Uh, So Clotel is about slaves running away, so very much escape is on his mind, in a way that I th- I think it's 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 downplayed in Douglass' at least his first narrative, and and I think the re- I heard that the reason he did that was because he didn't want to say did, didn't want people to be privy to how he escaped because other people could use that means to escape, right? He talks about it in later memoirs after slavery ended. Um, now, Brown's I guess escape maybe not quite as dramatic as the one from you see in um, Douglas's account um, but everyone took courage and everyone every escaped slave has a has a has a distinctive unique story and a set of experiences that that speak to uh, resistance and their their courage and their their just their determination not to be slaves right uh, you know so for thousands and thousands of enslaved Men and women in the United States, they made it very clear they didn't want to be slaves by their very actions, uh, including running away. But other types of resistance as well, as we'll see even in this this narrative. So uh, anyways, as I said, Hathaway um, starts with a preface, which provides a thematic summary of the book, um, which again, very, very short. Now this is written very much in the tradition of, of moral suasion, convincing people to become abolitionists, uh, going at it from a Christian and moral perspective, uh, trying to pull the heartstrings of people. You know, the audience is largely white readers, um, who the editor, I guess, or the, yeah, I guess Hathaway is sort of the editor of it, right? The one who brings it in, into into light. Of course, the author is, is Brown himself. Both. maybe targeting that white audience trying to get support for the abolitionist cause uh and coming at it from this christian moral perspective right and that's going to be a big theme both in clotel and in brown's narrative is the hypocrisy of southern christianity Um, again uh, both like douglas's narrative brown's focuses on the brutality and the violence and separating families and some of the family dynamics in slavery i think brown pushes it even farther than than douglas does um anyways Hathaway here writes are you a Christian this is the carrying out of practical Christianity and there is no other Christianity is practical in its very nature and essence it is a life springing out of the soul imbued with its spirit are you a friend of the missionary cause this is the greatest missionary enterprise of the day three million of Christian law manufactured heathen are longing for the glad tidings of the gospel of freedom are you a friend of the Bible come then and help us to restore to these millions whose eyes have been bored out by slavery their sight that they may see to read the Bible. Do you love God whom you have not seen? Then manifest that love by restoring to your brother whom you have seen the rightful inheritance of which he has been so long and cruelly deprived, end quote. Now, this is what Hathaway says. I don't think that's f- the full focus of this. I mean, I think Brown is much more emphasizing the hypocrisy of, of Southern Christianity rather than trying to maybe just have this, you know, rather than... He's much more critical of religion, is what I'm trying to say, than the kind of embrace of Christianity you get in the introduction. But that's uh, a slightly different approach. I think that's important to point out that these writers were being brought to the public attention through anti-slavery societies and through these publication efforts. There's, of course, a whole bunch of these slave narratives, uh, which were a big propaganda tool of the anti-slavery movement. But that doesn't mean that they're their words you know are just parroting what the these white abolitionists wanted to emphasize they, they do tell their own story um you know in in often very brutal ways so anyways uh brown was born in 1814 um uh, his mother uh was a slave named elizabeth uh he had seven children all with different fathers Um, which is another thing that he wants to talk a lot about is is the especially in clotel but it's here too is the the nature of, of, of of family and marriage in slavery right and and this is something that of course abolitionists talked a lot about because it was a you know it was something they could point to as the immorality of slavery like, well, slaves aren't allowed to have proper families. They're not married. They're, they're engaged in adultery. Um, and that should offend us as Christians. Therefore, we should bring them to freedom because then they can properly marry. And, of course, the Freemans Bureau did that after the end of slavery and even during the Civil War. Marrying couples, um, you know, there was this effort to marry these couples and to reunite families um, I think Brown is a little more sarcastic and cynical about this effort, uh, talking about the prevalence of bigamy, the use of, 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 sexuality to control slaves. This happens to him in this book where one of his masters, he had several throughout the course of this narrative, uh, asks him to, you know, basically says, I'll give you a, a hot wife. If you, <laughs> if you are good, um, uh, this actually convinces him to take the steps he needs to escape. But anyways, his father uh, is a white man. Uh, My father's name, he writes, as I learned from my mother, was George Higgins. He was a white man, a relative of my master, and connected with some of the first families in Kentucky. End quote. And Brown does not shy away from emphasizing uh, the relationship between uh, uh, rape and the the powerful in Southern society. Clotel, uh, his novel, is a presumably uh, Clotel's mother anyways is a stand-in for Sally Hemings and and Clotel is supposed to be Thomas Jefferson's daughter uh, still enslaved Uh, of course the reality of what happened to Sally Hemings children it's different than this Uh, these aren't he's imagining an alternate history if you will where Sally Hemings was a woman named Currer and she had these two daughters light-skinned daughters who had diverse experiences as slaves Uh, and tried to get their freedom. Um, it's actually, and it's not just about her, it's actually about that whole family. So it's, it's an interesting book. Um, but anyways, a lot here about sex and family. Um, all right. Uh, one of the earliest chapters, though, does deal with resistance, which I think is notable. Chapter two uh, is about the taming of this slave named Randall. And, and, and that's, like that's another thing he emphasizes is the, the overseer and the poor white uh, which he has very conflicted views on. On the one hand, they seem very cruel, obviously as racist as uh, slave owners, as much invested in the slave system, but Brown sometimes paints them as victims, as ignorant, as people kept back by slavery, um, not, to the, not in the same way, in the same degree as black people, but certainly to a degree, uh, also kept back. So uh, he has, if not sympathy, he has at least a little bit of I don't know. Is is it empathy? I'm not sure. He's, he's got he 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 tries to give them some some agency from time to time. I think that's something you see in Clotel. Um, but often the the overseers are just very very cruel, uh, especially cruel and and violent. And and this is the case. So we got this slave named Randall who refuses to be whipped. Um, and the master kind of goes along with this just because he's. He threatens to like kill whoever whips him and you know, you don't want the drama, I guess. So you, you punish him out of the ways besides whipping him. But one, um, overseer said he kind of had a pride in being a, an N word breaker, I guess. Um, and, and the master's like, okay, yeah, but don't try to whip this guy, Randall, but this guy cook, his name is insist on doing it. Um, and eventually he does break Randall. I mean, that's the point. This, so there is this resistance in Randall, right? This effort to, to maintain your, um, kind of your your manhood and your autonomy despite being a slave. And then you see it get crushed by just the violence and the tools of the slave owner. It's a very interesting contrast to the the Covey story in Douglas where Douglas beats up an overseer, right? This is someone who... Threatens to do it, but is unable to finally do that and why it's it's because He's not able to whip him. He just rounds up a gang of thugs and and overpowers them with with numbers That's how he ends up doing it But that's a power that the slaveholder has always the power to inflict violence is always there That's I think uh, Brown's point pretty clearly Um, now a lot of he's in a border state, right? So um, like Missouri and he, he wants to make the point because this was something people were saying at the time. And I think it was uh, a meme among slaves, too, because it's pretty clear in with this in Clotel that these people don't want to be sold to the Deep South. Um, but I think that's not he's saying it's not, not fully because slavery was nicer there in the north, north, more northern states, the border states, partially because it just separates you from your family a lot more. It's harder to reunite your family if you're sent down to New Orleans. Um, and that's another thing he emphasizes, too, is the breaking up of families and the internal slave trade and the indifference of masters to these family dynamics. All right. Um, but anyways. But one feature of slavery in the border states and, and elsewhere throughout, throughout, you know, in, many of the four million people who were enslaved had lives like this where they'd be rented out workers douglas had the same experience right um where they'd be simply you know and you know it happened during off seasons you know when you didn't need as many slaves on the plantation they'd just be rented out and the wages would go to the master right Uh, famously the white house was built in part with slave labor right um so this is kind of brown's experience for a number of years and this allows him to experience Many different masters of various levels of cruelty and indifference to him, but also he has many stories of these different enslaved men and women who passed through his life. Um, and he always, or as much as he can, he emphasizes the corrupted sexuality of the slave master. For instance, in this story... He writes, uh, there was also among the servants a girl whose master resided in the country. Her name was Patsy. Mr. Colburn tied her up one evening and whipped her until several of the boarders came out and begged him to desist. desist. The reason for the whipping was this. She was engaged to be married to a man belonging to Major William Christie, who resided four or five miles north of the city. Mr. Colburn had forbidden her to see John Christie. The reason for this was said to be the regard with which he, had for, he himself had for Patsy. He went to meetings that evening, and John returned home with her. Mr. Colburn had intended to flog John if he came within the enclosure, but John knew too well the temper of his rival and kept at a safe distance, so he took vengeance on the poor girl. Um, so yeah, this sexual desire for uh, uh, black women is something that Brown emphasizes again and again in his stories, and it's basically the main theme of Clotel it's really a story about gender more than it is about, about slavery and about the color line, right? It's something I, we talked a lot about in the Harlem Renaissance series. I did cause the color line was big there, but it's really big in this book. Um, which I don't think is emphasized as much in like some of the other slave narratives I've read. This one maybe says more about it than any others. Um, kind of this, this white male gaze towards the biracial women that slavery produced. Um, so um, very early on in this book, I mean it's I'm talking about page 17 of a 50 page book so um, but he expresses a desire to be free um, but his main reason he doesn't run away uh, is because of his family right and this is something we probably was a very common experience as people maybe had opportunities desire to escape. Uh, there is a liquidity uh, in American slavery. you know slaves are moved around uh, they're brought to different states uh, they're of course, that's the Dred Scott decision, right? As a slave was brought to Wisconsin, and then he said, "Well, once I got to Wisconsin, I'm free," right? Uh, and of course, we know how that case went. But they moved around a lot; they were rented out, as I said, uh, s- to some degree. Masters allowed families between plantations to maintain some kind of relations, so they'd move back and forth. Uh, there were interactions between plantations and free blacks in the neighborhood, so there's a liquidity there, even though it's a very rigid system legally and, and all that but um there are chances to run away and more didn't probably for family reasons right in this case it's his mother and 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 siblings he doesn't want to lose touch with them and it's finally when he loses touch with his mom completely when she's completely out of reach that he they finally uh chooses to run away he also emphasizes in this book, uh, religious worship and the hypocrisy of Southern Christianity has got a fairly long chapter, uh, detailing that. He also talks about class, uh, amongst the overseers. Um, and he wants to also say that slavery makes enslaved men and women, uh, brutal and, uh, like lacking compassion to a certain degree. He tells a story about how he was given a note. Now, he could read a little bit. He couldn't read much. But the note said basically... Uh, "to It's like, go to the police station and show this note. And the note would say, whip him. I'll pay you money. Here's a dollar. Uh, and so, I don't know if this was the common thing. But Will Brown does say, it was fairly common for masters to... Like, especially in these urban areas where slaves were rented out to basically push to the local pigs the job of... Of inflicting this punishment, Um, and since most slaves couldn't read, you can just give this note, right? And the note said, "Like whip him, I'll give you a dollar." And Brown passes this to a free black man and says, "You know, who else who couldn't read?" Takes it to the police station, and the free man gets whipped instead of Brown, Uh, and he feels kind of bad about it. But he's kind of saying, "This is what slavery reduces us to." Um. So, what else? um, There's a a lot of liquidity in this book, actually. Uh, You see, just because he moves around quite a lot. Um, He spends time in New Orleans. He's sold there. He's brought back north later on. He attempts to escape. They actually do get to Illinois, but end up uh, just for a short period of time and end up being recaptured. This is is before the fugitive slave law, but this is like in the 1830s, 1832 maybe. When he first... escapes but then he gets captured and he's with his mother and this is when they're split up entirely Um, later on a new master uh, Samuel uh, Samuel Willie, is his name Uh, also hires him out but um, I think it's this guy wants him to be uh, wants him just to be stick around and not run away and and trying to kind of bribe him with a wife so this kind of use of sexuality to to help uh, maintain the system of slavery is talked about this is an old trick obviously if if you've ever like the, the comes of Roman slavery they would do the same thing all the time the top slaves the overseer type slaves would often be given wives um, anyways uh, the end of the book is basically about his escape Um, So that's what's in this book. I I think it's a it's a short read. You can sit down and read it in one sitting um, And it's it's worth reading It's just just, it's if you even if you read other slave narratives and not come across William Wells Brown's narrative. I think it's worth reading just because it is so Thematically different than some other slave narratives you read it doesn't just emphasize the violence of slavery or the work life it's there's a it really there's a lot here about sex I guess Um, and the color line not that that doesn't part of the other slave narratives i'm thinking of douglas and that scene where is it his aunt being whipped and there's you get that feeling that there's a, a like a sadist, sadistic sexual sadism going on in that, that moment but anyways that's the narrative that's all i'm going to say about it it's uh, at this rate i'm better off just reading the whole thing to you If I keep saying too much more about it. So anyways. That was written in 1847. Almost uh, 14 years after he escaped slavery. But he does say like. As soon as I came north. I subscribed to the liberator. Became champion for freedom. You know. And got involved in temperance politics for a while. Yeah. And then later on eventually became involved directly in the anti-slavery movement. So there you have it. The narrative of William Wallace Brown. So that's about 50 pages. And. I'll talk about Clotel in the next episode, but I I just want to, you know, introduce the book, I guess, a little bit. The whole name is Clotel, or the President's Daughter, a Narrative of Slave Life in the United States. And it opens with the Declaration of Independence. Now, of course, this is a little bit ironic because um, the novel is about an imagined daughter of Thomas Jefferson. um, Named Clotel and Althesa. there's two of them actually. Uh, and they got the mother Kerr, so these are your three main characters, and they're all going to Through a, a, a sale basically get have different lives so Kerr will become a domestic servant um, on a farm or something and eventually die of yellow fever but uh, You know we see through her story and the slaves around her and the family that she's uh, enslaved to um, I guess the potential of freedom To come through manumission and, and That way And we see how it doesn't work for Kerr But maybe it works for others, right? So that's, of course, isn't that what Jefferson did? He did manumit his slaves after he died uh, Others went to pay off His debts, but His other slaves did So th- this is like the unknown This is like if there's a second Sally That wasn't as privileged, I guess And ends up being s- sold um, and there's uh, a lot of different, he goes out a lot of different themes when talking about the stories of these three women. Anyways, uh, Clotel's story is that she's basically taken as a mistress to a, a, a man who falls in love with her. Uh, again, the stress on the light-skinned women being a focus of, of the sexual gaze of, of men, uh, but Clotel. Basically becomes his, his mistress until he marries, and then she gets abandoned. And so their daughter, Mary, ends up being in, continues to be enslaved. Clotel uh, gets sold off to some other people. She escapes, um, but her partner, who she escapes with, I think his name is George or something. Was that a different guy, Williams? Maybe William. Uh, anyway, I have the notes here. We'll talk about it next time. Uh, but he stays north, but Clotel goes back to trying to find her daughter, again, family being a, a way of maintaining slavery this way. Uh, you know, this leads to her being recaptured, and she eventually kills herself, commits suicide. And then Altheza, uh the other sister, um, ends up sold to a Vermonter, which is really interesting because you think, oh, there's southern slavery and northern has freedom, but if a northerner went to the south, he could buy a slave and own a him, and he did. Uh, and this was one, but he—he, he, it was kind of—it seemed he was kind of reluctant to do this. And he, she eventually gets sold off to another Vermonter, ironically enough, and and they end up marrying. Um, now, that seems like pretty good life relative compared to other enslaved men and women. But the thing is, is he was basically married to his property, and she was passing as white, uh, but. Once they both die, her children are still the property of the estate and they get sold into slavery. So that in short is the story of these three women uh, who all have their own paths, but it allows Brown to tell different stories. Now, the way the story is written, it's very much a like a mixture of polemics and commentary, like the kind of stuff you read in slave narratives. It's very much a polemical novel uh, where. we see the third wall often being broke and the author telling us see this is what slavery does this is you know very much like the propaganda that you read in anti-slavery newspapers and things like that Uh, but you also have the story so it's kind of grafted it it kind of makes it not the most I guess compelling novel um, but it really is a good piece of I guess political it's it's a very it's a good piece of political writing um, with a very superficial story kind of put onto it. Uh, you can tell that his main point is to expose certain aspects of slavery in this way. Things that maybe he couldn't say or didn't have time to say in his narrative. Well, again, only 50 pages. He does, say, of course, say many of these things, although it's fictionalized, are things I experienced and, uh, you know, are things I heard about or things. And you often say, like, just look this up in the news. This really happened. So there's a, an effort to kind of shade the difference between reality and fiction here uh, to make it more politically powerful um, so yeah again this was published in 1853 in london i think by this point uh, brown is already in london abandoning the united states so um yeah we start right away with the splitting of the family but i think i'll talk about this whole book next time um i think i've done enough setting up so i'll just jump in in the next episode with, uh, with Clotel, uh, starting with chapter one, um, and t- talk about the whole story. Uh, maybe not go through chapter by chapter cause there's a lot of short chapters, but definitely, uh, introduce this book to you as best I can. So anyways, uh, that's going to be all for my, I guess, introduction to this book on Williams Wells Brown. I'm thinking nine episodes, maybe, maybe, yeah. Not, i guess nine episodes to uh to cover this we have a lot of different stuff in this collection a lot of it is his like anti-slavery writings we got stuff about his life in in europe we got uh his part of this though and it's called the black man his Antecedents, his genius and his achievements is like a biography uh, if you ever read like i've been researching some state history and like and they published these like these three volumes of like and the one I was looking at, Wisconsin Biography, right, where you get like a page about all these notable people who no one cares about, right, like all these state senators or local business people or what, any kind of important person. But if you're a historian and you're going through sources and you come across someone, you're like, oh, who is that bloke? And you can go to these books and you go to the index, find your person, and then get your one-page biography. They're very useful for historical research. Um, you know, if you're doing that more nitty-gritty local history that this book is kind of like that and and i don't know it's, it's fairly long but it is just it's like encyclopedia biographies um of, of black men but I, I think it's one of the first or if not the first book that tries to do this so it's, it's kind of like a who's who of black america um i haven't read it yet but well I'll, you know that we'll see what we can do with it it, it may not be as as compelling to go kind of page by page but nevertheless there's a lot here to talk about. So um, we're stuck. We're we're good for a couple weeks to, as as I explore this. I'm really excited to do this because it's um, someone I've been meaning to read for a while. I I knew the Library of America published his works a couple years ago, but I didn't have the volume, and now I have it. Uh, got it used from a used bookstore, secondhand from a library. It still has the 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 the, the library of congress information on it anyways i guess that's it uh hopefully my this actually puts me in a better mood I'm, I'm feeling happy doing this so uh thank you for listening and helping me so there's some therapy here is what i'm trying to say and i appreciate you listening and helping out and sorry for the delay in getting this episode and out it's just my life's really been a bit of a mess lately and it's it's kind of my life's been a mess before but it's kind of the uncertainty the not knowing when borders between taiwan and the rest of the world will open up again it, that 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 insecurity that that lack of knowledge is what's been i guess keeping me up at night and making me fall into bad habits um one of which is not doing this podcast so um, hopefully i can get some good habits back uh, going again so thank you, thank you so much for that uh, I appreciate your Your ears Anyways, uh, next time Clotel uh, I'm looking forward to it Thanks as always for listening oh, Light out your mind Light out your mind Well you won't be worried when, oh, when the sun go down When the sun go down You'll never be worried When, oh, when the sun go down When the sun go down Wow.